talking with Frank Viola, who's a best-selling author, speaker, church planter, and a prominent leader in the prominent leader in the missional church and house church and organic church movements. Uh, he's written several books. You may have uh, read some of them. Hopefully, a pagan Christianity. We talked recently about his uh, latest book, Finding Organic Church. He and uh, Leonard Sweet have teamed up to write a new work called Jesus Manifesto, Restoring the Supremacy and Sovereignty of Jesus Christ. And it's a, a challenging book, and I want to spend a little time talking about it. But, uh, Frank, as I understand, this book really came out of, a, I guess, a, an online posting. Is that right? Yes. Uh, Leonard Sweet and I, in June of 2009, we um, collaborated together and wrote an essay called a Magna Carta for uh, Restoring the Supremacy of Christ, and then we subtitled it A Jesus Manifesto for the 21st Century. And it was about 2,400 words, and in it we shared our heart about the primacy of Christ. And uh, what happened was the response uh, on the Internet was titanic. It went viral, so to speak. A half a million people had seen it in two months. Many, many people commenting on it. Thomas Nelson got wind of it and uh, wanted to expand it into a book. So that's that's how it came into being. Well, I guess just that alone suggests that there is a, maybe there's a hunger to know more or just a, a, a question of clarity about uh, what it is that is so central to our faith. It is. I think... I think a lot of Christians today, both on the left and the right, are kind of getting tired of the fact that we just seem to be chasing so many things in the Christian religion, you know, whether it's leadership principles or a certain political uh, ideology or social justice or the gifts of the Spirit or how to become a better person or whatever it may be, you know, each each Christian movement emphasizes a different thing, and that's the point. They are things, T-H-I-N-G-S, things, <laughs> related to Jesus Christ, part of the Christian faith, but they're not Christ. And so we're trying to make a clarion call to the Church that we have really missed the main point. We don't even realize it. And we have, so many of us, have, we've made Jesus a footnote, and we have put something else uh, on the throne, and thrown the spotlight on something else. And so what we're saying is that Jesus Christ is so much more than we ever thought, ever dreamed. We give a presentation of Christ that is very stirring and very big, very large. And uh, the impact has been amazing. It's been out a little over two weeks, and uh, it's beyond anything we could have imagined. Well, maybe just for uh, you know, definition's sakes, we talk about you know Christ. Uh you know, Christianity is simply Christ. Can we define more about maybe, uh, you know, what what that means and what that doesn't mean? Well, it doesn't mean that Christianity is reduced down to a certain doctrine of Jesus. It's not what it means. Uh, neither does it mean that Christianity is reduced to following his teachings. I mean, you can follow the teachings of a great leader, whether it be Gandhi or Buddha or Muhammad or uh, any of the world religions, uh, the interesting point is that for all of them, they're dead. Uh, but you can still follow their teachings. Many people approach the Christian faith that way. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to follow the teachings of Jesus. What it means is that Jesus is still alive. And not only is he alive and well, but he has come 
to live inside every true believer, all those who have repented and believed. He has come to dwell in them, and not only to dwell in them, but to live out his life through them. So what we're saying is that Christianity really is living by the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, and what that does is it reveals him. We become living, breathing Jesus manifestos, our churches, when we do this, when we learn to live by Christ, become living, breathing Jesus manifestos. And everything else falls into its proper place. All those things that we've put on the throne and we're chasing after and we're becoming all excited about, they kind of fall into place, and Jesus Christ gets the spotlight. He is the one that is seen and revealed and expressed. And all these things become sort of like tributaries that flow into a big river. What we've done is we've taken the tributaries and kind of camped out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, somebody takes the tributary of leadership, and they camp out there. Somebody takes the tributary of uh, social justice, they camp out there. Somebody takes the tributary of personal holiness, they camp out there, and on and on, whether it's the gifts of the Spirit, whether it's evangelism, whatever it is, we have a tendency to center on things about Christ. And so what we're saying in this book is, let's take another look at who this Lord is. Who is Jesus Christ? And we base a lot of it on the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 in particular. And we paint a picture of Christ that is so incredible, so amazing, so moving, so compelling. We try to do this. The reader is just left in awe, saying, I had no idea that <laughs> Jesus was this awesome. Yeah, I knew he died for my sins. Yeah, I know he's the Lord. Yeah, you know, he walked around Galilee, healed people, and wasn't that great? But no, this is a living Christ who is alive today and is so much greater than most of us have, have ever thought. What I'm doing here is repeating some of the things that people have said in their letters and mailed to us since the book is released. It's really having an impact on the hearts of many people, and we're profoundly humbled and grateful for that. You know, I guess even as you were talking, I was thinking how, you know, I wonder if some people would say, well, yes, yes, you know, Frank, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, we, uh, we've, we've moved on to, uh, you know, Christ is the foundation, but we, we've, you know, we've built on that, we've, we, we moved on from that. And you're saying it really, uh, you know, Christ is all and in all, right? I mean, it's well, it, the end of all things. So. Yeah, exactly. In fact, we even have a whole chapter that starts out that way. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, got the T-shirt, now, <laughs> now I want to go on to other things. And that whole chapter just blows to smithereens that kind of thinking because it shows that if we think that we can go on to other things, then we have never met the Christ of Colossians. Because there is nothing beyond him. Everything then becomes an aspect of Christ. You can't detach it from him. And we show this in that chapter of the book. In fact, that's exactly what was going on with the church in Colossae. They were getting distracted from Christ the head. Paul said that they were no longer holding fast to the head. And, and there wasn't any kind of big sin going on in Colossae. They were just pursuing other things beyond Jesus. And they were Christians. They had received the Lord as Savior. But they just felt like, well, you know, we, we've got to go on to other stuff. You know, there's, there's a higher wisdom, and, and there's, there's higher spiritual experiences, and, and there's other things we need to do. And, and so Paul, what he does in Colossians 1 is he, he pulls back the curtain and he shows them a Christ that they had no idea existed. In other words, they knew Jesus, but in a very infantile way. And he just reveals and unveils him in such a way that they realize, wow, 
what a Lord we have coming back to center. Colossians 1 is just one high peak of the entire New Testament that shows us Christ in ways that are just incredible and almost beyond words to explain. And this is the Jesus that we present in our book. You know, as you uh, referred to the, you know, the challenge of the Colossians that they they had pulled away from the head of it seems like we are living in in much similar circumstances, right? Where where people say, "Well, I'll sure I I uh, I follow Christ, but I don't need the I don't need the body to uh, to experience that." Yeah, that's right. And we even have a whole chapter on the body and the place of the body on how the body and the head are connected. It's called a house of figs, and what we do in this chapter is we trace Jesus' steps to Bethany, the little village called Bethany. And, uh, you know, the Lord was rejected everywhere he went when he came to this earth. I mean, gosh, he was rejected even in his own birth. Uh, he couldn't find a place to be born. You know, he, he was born where animals were fed. He came to his own, his own received him not, his own family rejected him, aside from his mother. Went to Samaria, they they rejected him. Jerusalem rejected him, they ended up killing him. And he really had no place that received him. But there was one exception, and that was a little village outside of Jerusalem called Bethany. And so what we do is we trace his steps to Bethany, and it's a beautiful picture of what a true living, breathing body is, a body of believers who receive Jesus and make him welcome in this world and show him forth. And uh, we call it a house of figs because there's an instance where he he leaves Bethany, and he's hungry, and uh, he goes to a fig tree that's bearing leaves, which indicates it has figs on it, and he realizes there are no figs. So he cannot be fed by that fig tree. He curses it. And there's a there's a symbol there, by the way. He comes back from Jerusalem, comes to Bethany, and there he is fed, and there he is welcomed, and there he is received. And Bethany means a house of figs. <laughs> so it's a pretty beautiful picture. He cannot be fed anywhere else, but in Bethany, his needs are met, his heart is touched, he is received for who he is. That's just a, a glimmer of the whole book. We unveil Christ in every chapter the best we can, front and center, talk about him and what it means to make him supreme in our life, in our ministry, in our church. I'm talking with uh, Frank Viola, who is a co-author, along with Leonard Sweet, of the, uh, the new book called Jesus Manifesto. It's restoring the supremacy and sovereignty of Jesus Christ. And, uh, Frank, I know that, uh, you know, in, in the book you talk about the difference between uh, sort of imitation and implant, implantation. I think that, you know, we, think we, uh, we always seem to be a little confused about, you know, what it means then to really have Christ as the, uh, you know, sovereign, the supreme overall. There's a teaching that became very popular in the 19th century and is still with us very strong today, and it's the idea that the Christian life is all about trying to be like Jesus. And the key word there is trying. WWJD, what would Jesus do? is kind of the, the slogan of that way of thinking. You know, you come into a situation, you you say, well, what would Jesus do? And then you try to you try to figure it out, <laughs> first of all, and then you try to do it, okay? And uh, we point out in the book that that's not Christianity. When Jesus was on the earth, he did not go around Galilee with a WWFD bracelet on and look at it when he came into a difficult situation and say, well, what would the Father do in this situation? <laughs> No, he said, I can do nothing, but the Father does it through me. I live by the Father's life. When I hear and speak, it is the Father speaking. He lived by an indwelling Father. God the Father dwelt in Jesus, and he he was a present reality, an ever-present presence 
uh, he learned to live by the Father's life. And what was interesting is that in his death and resurrection, he became a life-giving spirit, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. And the passage moved from the Father to Jesus, to Jesus, to us who have believed upon him. And now he, Christ, is our indwelling Lord. What the Father was to Jesus, Jesus is to us. He is our indwelling presence. And one of the statements that we make in the book is from John 6, where we quote Jesus, and he said, As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that partakes of me shall live by me. And Paul put it best when he said, It is not I, but Christ who lives in me. And that's implantation. That's higher than imitation. That's it's not trying to be like Jesus and do what he did and ask what would he do and try to figure it out. It is learning to live by an indwelling Lord, that Jesus lives in us by the Spirit. And just as he lived by the Father, we can live by him. And so we talk a lot about that in the book. And it's a very new idea to many Christians, even though it's just about on every page of the New Testament. <laughs> Paul talked an awful lot about it. Romans 8, for example. It's all there. So these are some things we feel are kind of lost to the contemporary Christian faith, and we're just trying to bring the spotlight back on them. I'm wondering how you know we as uh, believers, as we're as we're trying to, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say that we're trying to, but I mean we're you know we're we're surrounded by um, a culture and even a, a Christian subculture that seems to have lost sight of the supremacy of Christ, and even uh, you know many churches barely mention the name. You know, so so how do we keep from drifting away, and maybe as individuals, how do we pull ourselves back to the center, recognizing that you know Jesus is uh, Lord and all. I think one of the key things, and this is what provoked our book, one of the key things is that we would be awakened to, that our eyes would be opened to, the absolute stunning enormity and staggering greatness of our Lord, that he would be presented and unveiled to us in such a way that we just drop to our knees and say, wow, what a Lord. It just brings out, not out of duty or condemnation or guilt or obligation, but just by the sight of peerless worth, it brings out of us everything uh, whereby we just bow the knee and we say, Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I'm hungry now. I'm thirsty. I, I, I give you my life. You're, you're just so worthy. And and, you know, I think so many Christian books today, at least the ones I've read, they don't really do that. It's more, Jesus died for your sins, God loves you, so it's your obligation to follow him. You know what I'm saying? And nothing in the heart is really touched. And so what we're trying to do in this book, I mean, there's not a hint of condemnation, there's not a hint of guilt, there's nothing about, you need to do this, you must do this, you've got to do this, you better do this. What we're doing is we're trying to unveil Jesus in such a way that the reader is just naturally stirred to be hungry and thirsty for him. It's kind of an automatic thing. You know, you, your eyes behold beauty, and you're just drawn to it uh, naturally. You know, there's, there's nobody forcing you to do it or propelling you or compelling you or making you feel bad if you don't. Um, this is what we are seeking to do in this book. We've had a number of testimonies where people say, you know, I've been a Christian 30 years, I never saw the Lord like this, and my heart is just drawn to him. One person said, 
I rarely read books twice. He says, I'm on my third, third read on this book. And he said, I'm captivated by him. And so that kind of sums up what we're trying to do. And that really is the answer to the whole question, that our eyes would be awakened, our hearts would be awakened to see him, to get a glimpse of his absolute irresistible beauty and glory. Boy, once we do, everything else takes care of itself. You know, it's interesting even just just uh, reviewing again how how often Paul in his writings, you know, spoke of Christ and you know his his lordship and you know even as Jesus said, you know, all the scriptures you know talk about me and how we've you know have gotten used to sort of reading the book over and over again and almost overlook those those passages. Yeah. One of the points we make in the book is that Len and I, you know, we we speak at a lot of conferences and as a conference speaker, you you sit down, you listen to the other speakers, uh, and, and so often, this is not always the case, thankfully, but so often, we will listen to others preach for 60 minutes and hardly ever mention the Lord at all, talk about something else. Nothing bad, of course, I mean, something biblical, but Jesus Christ hardly gets mentioned. And you, you compare that over against how many times Paul mentions Christ you know, just pick up any one of his epistles and just read just read the first chapter. We, we actually do a count in the book. And it's mind-boggling. I mean, every sentence. And this is not something forced. Here is a man who has seen him. He is obsessed with him. He is consumed with him. He just spills out of his mouth. I mean, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And uh, you find out where a person's emphasis and center and focus is by listening to them talk. Well, I know for me, for many years, and all of this is how you're taught, you know. You're taught by a certain movement or denomination or or speaker. And if they don't see Christ on every page of the Bible, which he is on every page of the Bible, then you don't either. You kind of read the Bible filtered through however you're taught. And so we're trying to give a new lens to people. It's not really new at all. It's the lens that Jesus himself spoke of when he said, you read the scriptures and the scriptures testify of me. (laughs) Um, And he truly is on every page. And we we point this out in the book. And he's just saturated all throughout the New Testament. He is the subject. There is no other subject. Christ is the subject. If there's another subject, it would be his church, his body, which is one with him. So uh, we try to bring attention to this in the book as well. I would think it'd be even just as a devotional reading. It would be encouraging, maybe a place to start and, and open up to uh, Colossians and and let Jesus' manifesto just kind of take you through it and and maybe see for the first time who Jesus really is. It's a, it's a, a great uh, reminder, again, that we uh, can easily lose our way. Yeah, it is. And uh, a lot of people are talking about how they're using it for devotional reading. It's kind of an interesting book because it's not written to the left brain. It's not written to the right brain. It's written to both. And it's not just written to the mind. It's also written to the heart. It's not just straight prose. There's a lot of poetry in it, too, poetic uh, rhythms. Many people have said it's a prophetic call, but it's also a devotional reading. (laughs) So it mixes a lot of things that normally are not put together. Uh, It has a lot of metaphor in it. Uh, every chapter is a metaphor. So we're trying to trying to do the impossible. We're trying to speak to many different audiences in many different ways to reveal and express 
and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And some people are using it for devotional reading. Other pastors are giving it to their pastoral staff and saying, master this book and start preaching it. You know, other pastors are giving it to their congregations. It's it's quite fascinating uh, how different people are using it. But we're delighted that hearts are being touched. That's really our motive for putting it out there. You know, as you referred to, say, you know, it's really almost impossible to do, but, you know, do people say, well, it's, uh, you know the the mystery of Christ in us is is too is too much of a mystery to understand. So I mean we're trying to do the impossible about the mysterious. <laughs> well, here's one of the criticisms of the book, and there is a little bit of criticism, and that is, you know, you guys you guys talk about Jesus and you talk about living by Jesus and you talk about making him supreme, but you don't give any uh, any steps. You know, where where's the practical how tos? And uh, our, our response to that uh, has been, and people can even read uh, our responses to questions at thejesusmanifesto.com. That's the, T-H-E, jesusmanifesto.com. You can see ongoing Q&A. Is that this is not, you heard a show and tell. This is not tell, this is show. This is not a book that gives recipes. It is a book that gives a revelation. Uh, it's not a book that is going to uh, give a system. It, it's more giving a sighting, a vision. And we're leaving it to the Holy Spirit to apply it to each person's life the way he wishes because there's no universal recipes here. It's going to hit different people differently. It's going to hit different churches differently. And the Holy Spirit would seek to bring Christ formed in them in a different way, expressed through them in a different way. And so we intentionally and deliberately did not make this a recipe book. We wanted to just put the spotlight on Christ and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. And he's doing that based on the testimonies we're getting. Well, I encourage it to, to our listening family. It's Jesus' Manifesto, Restoring the Supremacy and Sovereignty of Jesus Christ. And uh, co-authors uh, Leonard Sweet and Frank Boyello talking to Frank today. Frank is... Uh, Best-selling author, speaker, and church planter has written several books. You've, I encourage you to read those as well. Pagan Christianity, Reimaging Church, From Eternity to Here, and his latest is Finding Organic Church. And uh, Frank, thank you for the uh, the work you've done in this and just helping to uh, open our eyes a bit more. We appreciate the time today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. <laughs> 